Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. December 2022. Everywhere, work is winding down for the holidays. Everywhere, except of course, the Pascas Studio. After a year of epic and inspiring stories, producer Christina and Gavin are wringing their hands, anxious because the upcoming episode list is looking thinner than Ken Miles after 24 hours of Le Mans. That's when Christina has a brilliant idea. Dear Santa, what I would love more than anything in this world is some banger-ass ideas for our podcast. P.S. Love your zaddy vibe. Let me know when Mrs. Claus is not in the picture. That is inappropriate, Christina. Then, without warning, the Pascas inbox magically starts filling up with emails. Will they be good? Kind of offensive? Typo-ridden? Or has Christina's Christmas wish come true? Today on Pascas, we're going to find out. The boys are going to learn a little bit about seven different listener-submitted suggestions. This is episode 167, Santa's Coal Bag. We did your crummy ideas. Okay, so just to clarify, we get a lot of suggestions for topics yeah. uh, on this show and on our YouTube channel, Donut yes. Media. Some of them are good, and we end up doing them. But mm-hmm. Some of them, I yeah. think people kind of miss the point, miss the mark a little bit. Some of them might be from younger audience members that haven't quite figured out their creative potential yet. And some of them, I think, are from dumb people who think <laughs> dumb ideas are some good ideas. Some of them ideas. are like, oh, you should do an episode on Keiichi Tsuchiya. And then some of them are like, you should do an episode on this guy who's got a cool car down the road from me. He's pretty cool. Yeah, can you do an episode on my car? Yeah. yeah. we lo- Look, I appreciate all the ideas that come in. I'm super excited to do this episode. Me too. Santa's coal bag? That sounds fun. And just to clarify, we love any emails that you send us. Yes. Don't stop sending us no, emails. No, because then 
if you stop sending us emails, we won't do another episode of this. And I just have a feeling this is going to be a fun one. Guys, let's be very cognizant of how mean we are. Yes. Yeah, because we're mean to each other, but that's out of love. Yeah, yeah. that is out of that's love. That's a little tough hey, love and for us. And if we're a little mean to you guys, that's also out of love. We're no, just all good. here for fun. So if I call you a dumb <laughs> <laughs> If you guys were impressed by my use of the word cognizant, make sure you listen to next week's episode. That's a real smart script. Where I realize how dumb I am. <laughs> yes. And we all commit to reading more so we know more words. Yes. <laughs> uh, welcome to Pascast, everybody. I hope you had a great holiday season with your family, no matter what you celebrate. I, I wish the world for you. My name is Nolan Sykes. I'm joined by my co-hosts, James Pumphrey. Ho, 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 tinkle, tinkle, tinkle. Who's that on the roof? I think it's Nick. <laughs> and, and Joe Weber. Oh, jingle, jangle, here comes Nick. <laughs> look. Yeah. So, Don't look now, it's big, fat Nick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm really, really excited to get into your guys' suggestions this week. Normally, like, we'll get a suggestion, and maybe it's like, two pages worth of like story uh-huh. so this is our compilation of like all those ideas that come together so we can make one big episode out of a bunch of little ideas yeah that's right. the idea like, here a lot of the ideas there's not just an there's not enough to fill yes. an yeah. entire hour so you know like Nolan said this is a, a bunch of little pixar shorts yeah Ooh. this is like uh when we used to we were trying to do this for wheelhouse a while ago yeah. we we're like why do dogs stick their head out the window why do vw smell like crayons they're all like two minute stories yeah so. i actually have a, a wheelhouse script about the crayons thing. It's yeah. one and a half pages. Yeah. <laughs> I just have it in my Google Drive. It's uh, because it's of waiting. the yeah. stuff it's made out the of. Glue. The, the glue. The glue. Uh, yeah, specifically the glue is made in a certain factory. You know what? I want to do an episode on sometime. Hmm. What language is a dog's internal monologue in? <laughs> is it English or it's German or wherever they're from? Or is it like inside their head? Are they like, bark, 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 yeah. bark. I think it's Persian. All dogs Ooh. are Persian? Yeah. <laughs> hmm. All right. So without further ado, here's our first story. Okay. This one's from Iceland. So I'm going to do my best. I love the people of Iceland. I want to visit Iceland and see the the beautiful volcanoes. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's a hot dog place I want to eat there that I've seen on many a food really? show. Yeah. Hmm. Do um, they have crazy like elk hot dogs or something? I don't think so. No. Take that no. beautiful wildlife and grind it up into a hot dog. <laughs> I think it, they're not traditional American toppings, but nothing crazy. Yeah. Fermented fish. Uh, volcanic I, There's steam. no reindeer in it. Like my from my friend Fat Nick. <laughs> <laughs> this submission is from Orn Ing... Oh God, I'm doing my best, Orn. I'm doing my best here, buddy. Ingemarsson. Orn Ingemarsson. In Iceland, he wrote, I want to tell you about formula. (laughs) 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 I want to tell you about formula off road here in Iceland. Custom made trucks with a thousand plus horsepower, real American V8s, and big shuffle tires. So, like paddle tires. Hell yeah. Shooting themselves up 90-degree hills and even driving on water. Yeah, dude, this stuff is cool. The knockoff Top Gear, that's a quote, did a show about it, and Freddie Flintoff even raced and got the nickname Flip Off after the race. Hey, nice. Wow. I would have yeah. called him Freddie Flintstone. Is, are we the knockoff Top Gear? Because we never made that video. No, 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 no. I think actual Top Gear also did a, did a segment on these as well. These things are sick. Yeah. yeah. 
All right, so the big reason we've decided to cover this in this episode is because Formula Off-Road is really cool, but a little difficult to get verified research that could fill an entire hour. Uh, the best way to understand it is to watch it, so um, take a pause, watch it on your phone. <laughs> Pull your car drive. over. Yeah. Pull up YouTube. But let's talk about let's talk about the history that we could find. Formula Off Road began in Iceland on May second, nineteen sixty five. Uh, the right off the bat, this is some pretty specific history that we could find. <laughs> in short, it's a way to do off road driving in a closed course. Today, rock mines are used because they offer the right kind of terrain, but are still close to nearby towns. Mm-hmm. The tracks themselves are marked by old tires, flags, or sticks, but tend to be makeshift. The first competition was hosted by... What? Bifrio Kluber Reykjavikr. Oh, mm-hmm. like he's from Reykjavik. Mm-hmm. A.K.A. Bicker Reykjavikr. <laughs> <laughs> or BKR. Oh. <laughs> it stands for Reykjavik's Car Club. It was won by Egil Gunnar Ingolfsson. With that competition, Porkel Goodnason and fellow members of BKR decided to officially found the Formula Off-Road Championship. I love that. It's a little tongue-in-cheek. You know, it's like, hey, they knew that Formula One was going on. Uh-huh. We're Formula Off-Road. Yeah. yeah. And also the acronym spells fork. That's cool. Nice. <laughs> BKR hosted its competition for years, but in 1969, nice. The volunteer rescue team Stalker in Keflavik started hosting a similar competition, and then the volunteer rescue team in Hella did the same. Both teams organized their events as a fundraising event as groups of Icelandic rescue workers would show up with their four-wheel drive cars to mess around on Icelandic hills. In 1979, the first official Icelandic championship was held, and its first champion was Benedict Cumberpatch. (laughs) Benedict Ija Olfsen. Nice. Nice pronunciation. Thanks. Perfect. Flawless, as always. (laughs) Really good at names and cities. You've been doing your Duolingo. I've been (laughs) doing my Duolingo with Duolipa. That's where Duolipa teaches you Icelandic words. Very specific product. I wish I wouldn't have invested so much money into it. <laughs> In the beginning of the championship, there was only one class, uh, much like early schools. <laughs> <laughs> but due to some uh, competitors' addition of multi-paddle tires, organizers added a second class in 1985. And thus, the two classes, modified class and unlimited class, were formed. The unlimited class is the major league class that allows 4x4s to use paddle tires, which dig into the earth between hops mm-hmm. and short flights. That's cool. The modified class is pretty much a, like a truck and has a body that must resemble a mass-produced vehicle with a bonnet, or if you're one of our American listeners, that means hood, side body panels, and front and rear fenders that must be installed to resemble the original vehicle. Uh, resemble leaves some room for interpretation. Later, the street legal class was added, probably because of that uh, room for interpretation. (laughs) Uh, The definition is pretty straightforward. These are street legal vehicles that come equipped with lights, license plates, and annual inspection. 
In fact, during those early years of competition, many competitors would show up in their regular daily drivers, remove equipment that they didn't need, change those tires to multi-paddle, and get going up that big old dang old hill. That's sick. <laughs> don't go too far, though. You don't want to fall in the volcano. Don't go into the lava. When you see the lava, stop. <laughs> Formula Off-Road branched out from Iceland in 1990 when the first competition was held in Sabo, Sweden in, a, in an event organized by <laughs> Jeppe Kluber, Reykjavikur, and Veteran Off-Roaders. Nice. Nice. Oh, I get it. Like, Jeppe Kluber is like driving club. Mm -hmm. Jeppe Kluber. That's cool. Yeah. Dude, we I should think start I, a Jeppe Kluber. I think I'm uh, learning... Icelandic, Icelandic from osmo yeah. osmosis. Yeah. Then it exploded across Scandinavia with events held in Sweden, Finland, Norway, and Denmark. How's <laughs> that for pronunciation? That's great. There was a World Cup established uh, and held by Iceland from 1997 to 2008, but it wasn't until 2004 that the Scandies joined in. In 2018, in Ukraine's Iceland, American Andrew Blackwood became the first American year to compete in the Icelandic Formula Off-Road. He drove in the Unlimited class. Of course he did. He's American. He probably looks like Kid Rock. In, in, <laughs> in a drummer in a car that's well-known to Icelandic competition. Uh, the car was owned by Gester J. Ingolfsson. You didn't need to have that guy's name in there. You just want <laughs> As for safety... Roll bars used to be the only requirement, but they weren't even the complete roll cages that we see today. Today, drivers are required to use a full cage, a full-face helmet with a Hans device, five-point harnesses, uh, and homologated bucket seats, flame-resistant clothing, so coveralls, shoes, gloves, probably a little hood face thing, mm -hmm. arm restraints, arm restraints. Wow. Yeah, what does that mean? Well, okay, so... This is also common in drag racing as well. Like there are these belts for your arms that clip in, also clip into your your harness system, so, you, so your arms don't fly out yeah, when you yeah. roll over. Yeah, yeah. I just want a car where your arms don't fly off when you drive it. <laughs> <laughs> it's impressive to note that despite the inherent dangerousness of the sport in fifty years of Formula Off Road racing, there has not been a serious driver injury that can be traced back to the cars themselves. That's, uh, That's a what? spurious way of... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Lots of statics. Yeah. But yeah. Good, good on them. Our next email was suggested by listener Nishan. Thank you, Nishan. Uh, quote, here's from their uh, email. Osho was the leader of the Rajneesh movement of the 1980s. He was obsessed with Rolls Royce, and people would watch his convoy drive by every day. The documentary Wild Wild Country on mm. Netflix is a good oh. overview of the subject. Yeah, you guys remember the Rajneeshes. Yes. Wild Wild Country is a wild, wild documentary series. <laughs> yes. Even though there's tons of info about there about Osho and his Rajneesh movement, aside from his affinity for Rolls Royces, it's not quite past gassy enough. Not enough cars, okay? But if your interest is peaked, definitely check out that miniseries. Uh, it'll make you reconsider whether or not you can pull off an all-orange outfit. I can. <laughs> I believe it. Uh, <laughs> the Netherlands World Cup team would like a word. <laughs> Osho was born Chandra Mohan Jain, the eldest son of a cloth merchant. He grew up alongside 11 siblings in a small village in India and was often described as a gifted yet rebellious student. He was interested in communism, and when he found that to be, quote, dead... He was uh, deeply critical of traditional religion. Instead, Rajneesh, as he came to be called, was intrigued by the occult, 
breath control, yoga, meditation, fasting, and hypnosis. After reaching enlightenment by 21... That's when I reached enlightenment. He rejected... That's when you booked enlightenment? Yeah, that's when I booked enlightenment. <laughs> he rejected his family's request that he marry, and after several years at university, became a popular philosophy lecturer at Jabalpur University by age 27. Rajneesh soon began traveling throughout India under the pseudonym Akarya Rajneesh and gave lectures critical of socialism, Gandhi, and organized religion. We're going to jump ahead a bit for the sake of the story. By 1974, Rajneesh set up his first commune, Pune Ashram, in Pune, India. The ashram has been described as exciting, intense, emotionally charged, and spoiler alert, you can still visit a version of it today. But it's called the Osho International Meditation Resort. My uh, grandma lived in India for years. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. By 1981, mean. Oh. By 1981 <laughs> the ashram hosted a whopping 30,000 visitors each year, but despite this popularity, Rajneesh decided to move on. Rajneesh flew to the U.S. to have back surgery, but later that year he purchased the Big Muddy Ranch, which was 120 miles east of Portland, Oregon, near a super tiny town called Antelope. Do you think it was really a big muddy ranch, or was it like a Greenland, Iceland type? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. No one come here. No it's one big here. and muddy. It's just a big old muddy ranch. Yeah. The ranch covered 64,000 acres and eventually became home to 4,000 orangish red clad followers, though that number grew to nearly 15,000 during summer festivals. It was there at the newly renamed Rancho Rajneesh that the guru preached his teaching of free sex and materialism, which is where we get into the cars, okay? Time out. Yeah. This dude was just all about, like, doing it and driving cool cars? Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of like us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> despite his outward appearance, Rajneesh wasn't like the other gurus in one major way. He loved worldly possessions and proudly yeah. lived in luxury. Yeah. As he explained in a 1982 interview with an INS officer who asked him about the importance of wealth, he said, quote, all the religions have commanded and praised poverty, and I condemned all those religions. Hell yeah. Because of their praise of poverty, poverty has persisted in the world. I don't condemn wealth. Wealth is a perfect means which can enhance people in every way. So I am a materialist spiritualist. I kind of agree with that yeah. because, you know, like the Vatican is so rich. Yeah. They preach that, you know, tithing, giving yeah, yeah. 10% mm -hmm. of your income. Yeah. Why keep people down if they, like, can't afford it? Yeah, you I, should be poor, but I'm going to live in this <laughs> castle yeah. over here. I'm going to have gold uh, slippers. Yeah, or, like, the Joel Olsteins of the world. I certainly yeah. agree with those points, but I don't think that the praise of poverty has uh, persisted. Had, has, is I the only cause. No, that's it's not, not the only cause, no, but I do but, think but, like, that's what he's saying. He's saying... Sure. I think his view is it's a little... It's a trick. He, he, he has a obviously commune now. He's got, he's, a commune. He's, he's got his commune, and he's very outward with yeah. the fact that he's like, dude, I got all this money that people are giving me. I'm going to have a gold couch. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just Rolls saying Royces. it's kind of a... What we're doing. If he's I was making, better at talking, I would be a con man in one second. <laughs> <laughs> but because I'm not, I can speak against it. Yeah. There's anyway. a lot of hypocrisy in religion regarding... And he's just being very outward whatever, with it. And he's just like, yeah, he's I'm owning it. Yeah. Which, having been very poor and now extremely wealthy, yeah. I definitely can like being sure. rich better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. 
It didn't quite matter that his followers worked 12 hour days to feed his dream of a utopian community and his love for jewels and expensive cars, especially Rolls Royces. His first two Rolls Royces were a Corniche and a Silver Shadow, which were shipped from the Poon Ashram to the Oregon Ranch. He had a Rolls in India? Yeah. And every day, his disciples were treated to his daily drive-by, where the guru drove one of his 93 Rolls Royces. <laughs> 93 Rolls Royces? He had 93 Rolls, okay? That's, that's too 92 many. That's too many. That's a lot, yeah. yeah. Many of them I, were I can see having two. Yeah. <laughs> many of them were painted in psychedelic colors, Hell with yeah. some decorated with peacocks and lacy curtains. Oh, the peacock one is sick. <laughs> that's a... Somebody who loves network television but doesn't, <laughs> doesn't know the name. The, <laughs> horn, the horn goes bang, bang, bang. That's funny. Dude, the peacock one is hard. And the spectrum one. Whoa. The peacock one is sick. The rest you of them are kind of weak, in my opinion. Uh, cable companies and networks. <laughs> <laughs> like, I love spectrum. I love NBC. The one with clouds is kind of whack. The peacock one is sick though. That is that is tight. Yeah, I like. That. I kind of want to get into peacock. Or, you know, have more peacocks. Whoa, the spectrum on one stuff. is sick. Yeah, I'm on the spectrum. <laughs> okay. <laughs> However, it wasn't all for show. There was a practical reason behind Rajneesh's Rolls Royce obsession, as the Oregonian reported. Quote. The ownership of the cars was transferred from the Rashnish Foundation International to the tax-exempt Rashnish Modern Car Collection Trust in 1982. Stop. The trust served as a tax-exempt conduit for donations from wealthy Saniasins who, quote, leased the cars for as much as $6,000 a month, semicolon, in 1982 alone, comma, $498,784 flowed into the Rajneesh Investment Corporation through this convenient conduit. Full stop. Regardless, the fun eventually came to an end, which we're not going to get into here. But basically, there are some alleged attempted poisonings by his gun-toting personal secretary, a whole bunch of angry Oregonians, and a perspective change on the whole free sex thing due to the AIDS epidemic. Rajneesh was eventually arrested for immigration fraud and deported from the United States. Several countries refused to let him enter, and he eventually returned to India in 1985, where he denounced the U.S. as a monster that should be hushed up forever. Hush up that monster. Yeah, hush that monster. Shh. Shh. <laughs> Give me my Rolls back. And as for those Rolls Royces, nearly all of them were sold, many to a car dealer in Texas. And yes... Most of them oh, were repainted. It. No! That's the only good thing that came out of this whole yeah. debacle. I do kind of want a peacock on my car now. So, yeah. <laughs> An Audi A3 with a peacock on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Weird little story there. Uh, definitely check out Wild Wild Country if you're one of the few people that haven't seen it yet. Yeah. It was super popular when it came out. But, uh, yeah. 93 Rolls Royces in a convenient tax evasion scheme. 93 Rolls Royces is like just a problem. That's a yeah. yeah. Like how do you maintain the maintenance on that must the have cost so crazy. much. I know. I don't want 93 anything. 93 Dollars. to infinity. Yeah. yeah. Hand me 93 bucks right now. I'll be happy about that. Hey, man, I don't have it. Yeah. Give me that money. I don't have it, man. I'm sorry, Nolan. <laughs> I have about 93 matchbox cars and they're taking up a lot of space in my house that's a lot yeah I, yeah i got rid of a lot of matchbox cars <laughs> have you guys ever seen ten dollars cash before no well, i got 97 i got 93 <laughs> problems but a bitch ain't one hit me with the next story <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back with more of this story but first a word from our sponsors 
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Uh, this next suggestion is from my guy, Morty, uh, who is my friend, lives in New Mexico. Oh, this fan mail, if read aloud, should be read by whomever can hold the best posh British accent. I like British cars. And that was stipulated by Morty. Yeah, Morty said that. Okay, well. To the hosts of Past Gas Podcast. Hello, it is I, Morty, three-star general in the Wink Wink Army, Whoa. boost creepiest, uh, don't. I don't think you should say boost creepiest. <laughs> don't announce yourself as that. I'll give him notes. <laughs> and Donut Underground Vato. Hey, now. Joe, that's not a British accent. Yeah. Oh, I'm supposed to read this part in a British to accent? The hosts of okay. the, to the hosts of the... You, you had your chance. Okay, go Morty's for it. Morty's my homie, too, now. Oh, okay, go for What's it. What's up, Morty? To the hosts of the Past Gas Podcast. Hello. This is I, Morty. Three-star general in the Wink Wink Army, boost creepiest and donut underground Votto. <laughs> I've waited to write you this letter as my thoughts surrounding the world of cars is ever-changing and long-winded. Do I write in to ask for a specific topic or idea? Do I sell them my new show ideas? Dare I request counsel with those at the center of donut? <laughs> at the whole... <laughs> what, Morty? That's the, the whole of the donut. donut. <laughs> I dare not. I've been listening to past gas since the days of old and watching donuts videos since before I could walk. I'm 27 years old. 
I am on the spectrum of autism, and like many people, I struggle to find what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I was a kitchen designer out of uni who has only ever thought about cars and driving. I had to make a change. You can't drive a car in a kitchen. <laughs> I had to represent the demographic of car culture I want to see in the world. Dude, M Morty rocks. Dude. Yeah, Morty's yeah, cool, dude, dude. His voice is sick. Yeah. <laughs> Here's how you can participate today, gentlemen. Help me pick my actual license plate. I drive an R56 Mini Cooper S in British Racing Green Metallic. My front runners are small, S-M-O-L, okay. like O, that's small. <laughs> gone, G-O-N, like O, he gone. Randy, it's like British for horny. <laughs> <laughs> or in it. I-N-N-I-T, like, this T is rubbish, isn't it? Isn't it? Feel free to add your own. I'm sure I'm missing some real winners. Thanks again to the past gases and all you pastry people at Donut. Keep it juiced, gentlemen. Sincerely, Morty. Uh, Morty rules. <laughs> Morty rules. What do you think for this license plate? I like small. Small, small, yeah. yeah. Small's good. Because, like, uh, Randy, like, I, I like that it's British for horny, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. But, like, people will be like, hey, Randy, and he'll be like, my name is Morty, <laughs> you know? But also, like, if you were over here in the U.S. and you saw a license plate that said the horny on it, you'd be <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> like, that gonna, guy's cool. I'm going yeah. to avoid that guy. I mean, I think horny would be a great license plate. <laughs> horny would be a sick <laughs> license yeah. plate. I kind of like gone because he gone is, like, what, uh... What Hawk Harrelson used to announce for the White Sox? Mm. He's like, oh, when the, he hits a home run, he goes, oh, he gone. Uh, yeah, but then we're going for more of a British theme than a yeah. Chicago theme. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Wicket, then. I like, I, I like I, In It. I do like In It in a it lot. It's pretty yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. But also could be confused for In It, mm. as in In It to Win It. Yeah, I don't know if that's something you want to consider. My vote goes to small. All right, I SMO. like that. Let's yeah. also. I'm. I'm gonna say small as well. well small. Close second, isn't it? Yeah, I also vote for small. All yeah. right. Well, Dawn's thank you. Good, Randy. Uh, is I too think horny. Be confusing. Too horny. But if you want to just do horny, I support that. Horny <laughs> if they'll let you. Okay. <laughs> uh, thank that's you very much. That's just a good way to live, you know. Yeah. <laughs> horny <laughs> if they'll let you. <laughs> Thank yeah. Thank you very much for your email, Morty. Uh, that was very fun. Uh, our next email suggestion comes from Andrew. Quote, I'm an industrial designer, and I find it surprising how few people really know what it is and how important it is for the automotive industry. Raymond Lowy is a well-renowned industrial designer and designed a few iconic cars. I think an episode about him would be interesting and also informative to a lot of people who are unfamiliar with industrial design. Hmm. For those of our listeners who aren't familiar with the concept of industrial design, it's pretty much what you might assume it is. It's the process of applying design principles like ergonomics, form, and function to physical products with the goal of making intuitive products that improve the lives of its users. Also, they should be beautiful. Raymond Lowy was born in France on November 5, 1893, though he spent most of his professional career in the United States after moving to America in 1919. He's responsible for designing the Shell, Exxon, TWA, BP, U.S. Mail, and many other logos, as well as toasters and tea kettles. 
and Coca-Cola vending machines and bottles, the Lucky Strike package, Whoa. the redesign of Sears' best-selling Cold Spot refrigerator. He did the Air Force One livery. He made he designed farm harvesters, railroad designs like the color scheme and eagle motif for the Missouri Pacific Railroad. The NASA Skylab that wow. predates the International Whoa. Space Station. You and know, fun fact about me, I own Skylab. Well, <laughs> isn't it like in the ocean now? Mm-hmm, but it's mine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and for the purposes of our podcast, this man is also responsible for the Studebaker, Avanti, and Champion models. This list doesn't even contain everything you made. The Frenchman pretty much invented the look and feel of Americana, even though he was French. Whoa. It's funny because also they gave us the Statue of Liberty, which is a that is cool symbol yeah. of our Great country. Ally. That is cool. Yeah, and they invented spaghetti. A lot of people think it's the Italians. I thought it was the Italians up until just now. At the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York, that's like there's an industrial design like air exhibit like area, yeah. but uh, it has like a bunch of products that are like revolutionary, or whatever. Like it yeah. has like a Bic lighter. Uh huh. And uh, a bunch of cool stuff like that. And I think he, I found you, went, it you went into a bodega. No, there's like, uh, I got, a, uh, went to the gift shop. I got a honey bun, <laughs> the Aki way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to take this uh, chopped cheese and we're going to put yeah, it on I a honey chop, bun. I got a chopped cheese on a Pop Tart, the Aki way. <laughs> I'm talking about the Metropolitan Museum of Art. <laughs> I know where I was. <laughs> From 1936 until the early 60s, Lowy worked with Studebaker after company president Paul Hoffman, a fan of the designer's work, gave him, quote, pretty much carte blanche. And he understood that because he was French. French. That's right. To do whatever he wanted. Carte blanche is French for blank slate. Ah. Though he worked alongside a team of talented designers, Lowy insisted on taking full credit for his firm's designs, something the designers obviously took issue with. In any case, Lowe is behind many iconic designs, including a new futuristic logo that began appearing on the cars in the 1930s. During World War II, when the U.S. government put restrictions on the Big Three's design departments, Lowe's firm was able to continue working with Studebaker, the fourth largest car manufacturer at the time, since they were a contractor, not an in-house team. Little loophole there. This allowed Studebaker to launch the first brand-new post-war car in 1947. The company hammered this point home with the tagline, First by far with a post-war car. Lowy's team, led by Virgil Exner, created a futuristic design featuring flush front fenders and clean rearward lines. They also created the Starlight Body, which features a rear window system that wrapped 180 degrees around the rear seat. That's pretty cool. This was a revelation in the industry, a radical departure from prior models that tended to shroud the rear passenger seats. Don't you have a big curved piece of glass on your car? A little bit. Yeah, it actually, the glass, the front and rear windshield always gives me, when I see people, guys throwing stuff outside, Yeah, I always get worried because if my windshield or stuff gets broken. I get worried too. There's like no way to replace that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I get worried when people throw stuff outside just because like I don't want any damage to happen yeah. to my car. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Oh, what is that? That yeah. is <laughs> that is strange. So it's not one piece of glass, it's four pieces of glass in like a very curved yeah. uh that is that is something to behold. If that I is wasn't wild. paying attention, I was driving behind this car, I would flip out and be like, Oh, are they driving yeah, right at me? Backwards. And this was around the time the iconic bullet nose Studebakers were released. 
1953, the Starliner and Starlight Coupes debuted. Though they were credited to Lowy, they were actually designed by Robert Burke on his team. The Starlight is one of motor journalists' best-described cars of the 50s, as evidenced by its inclusion on lists compiled by outlets like Collectible Automobile, Car and Driver, and Motor Trend. However, the Starlight was often plagued by production problems. Lowy's final commission in the 1950s for Studebaker was a transformation of the Starlight and Starliner Coupes into the 56 model year Hawk series, which came in Silver Hawk, Sky Hawk, Packard Hawk, Whoa. and of course a Golden Hawk. This Studebaker looks like uh, like Aston Martin DB5 or something. It's crazy. Which of course, Joe, uh, the Golden Hawk featured a supercharged President 289 cubic inch oh my V8. God. President. President. That's a cool name for an engine. However, Lowy's masterpiece was his 1962-1963 Studebaker Avanti. Studebaker had enlisted the designer to help craft a car that would attract young buyers. Despite a 40-day schedule to produce a finished design and scaled model, Lowy was in 40 days to design a car. He put together a team and leased a house in Palm Springs to work on the design. Oh, dude, I w- wish I was there. Yeah. yeah. You know those dudes were just drinking whiskey and chief and cigs. Yeah, oh, yeah. The Avanti is ah, characterized. On a car. <laughs> the Avanti is characterized by elegant and clean lines and an original front with a grillless nose. Uh, this thing is interesting. It looks like it was designed in forty days. <laughs> it does. It, yeah, it's like almost really sick. Yeah. yeah. Lowy described his design ethos by saying that quote. We adult- had to do it in 40 days. <laughs> the adult public's taste is not necessarily ready to accept the logical solutions to their requirements if the solution implies too vast a departure from what they have been conditioned into accepting as the norm. That's it really sounds most, like Morpheus from The Matrix. I know. That was the yeah. most long, long-winded way of saying, yeah, it looks a little weird. <laughs> I know. <laughs> he often summarizes his views. going to love it. Yeah. He often summarized his views with the acronym MAYA, which stood for Most Advanced Yet Acceptable. I think Jay Leno has one of these things. Oh, yeah, for uh, sure. I, I know I've heard the name a million times, yeah, but seen it, I'm like... Yeah, he's like really famous. He had a talk show yeah. forever. Yeah. He's not a big I don't know. Guy. The Avanti, I'm not... <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if I'm feeling this one, man. No, I it don't know. does look like a drawing. I do really like the Hawk, though. The, the Hawk is Hawk. really cool looking. I was like, maybe I should start looking for one of these. And then I was like, don't do that, you stupid idiot. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I needed, like... Uh, uh, we did the Civic shoot this week, and I have been looking at CRXs all week. Oh yeah, baby! And I don't, I can't, don't, I can't don't, do it. Don't do it. No, don't do, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't, don't do, do it, it. Joe. baby boy, Joe, <laughs> baby boy. Right. Listen to me. It's me, James, your grandfather. It's oh. me, grandfather, James Weber. Papa. Yes, <laughs> yes, son. I'm so. an angel. <laughs> Don't what? buy a Civic. Is this how you tell me you're dead, but also deliver financial advice? All right. Yes. So that was the story of one. So that was the story of one Raymond Lowy and a Studebaker and sure industrial. Was Lowy, design. not Louis. There's no R in it. Louis. Louis, maybe. I mean, I don't it's know. French. Louis. 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 Now, let's move on. Yeah, quick coal check-in. Is this the coal that you expected? This is pretty, this is pretty re- good coal. I'd say these are some I'm learning pretty some good stuff. presents. Is this coal or not is it diamonds? Not a lot diamonds? of coal. This is not, this is diamonds. Yeah. And diamonds are forever. You can turn peanut butter into diamonds. What? There's no what? way. 
can't turn peanut butter into diamond. Well, you have to make Abs- it a carbon sure first, and then you have to squish it. Yeah, basically. I remember seeing a Nova special when I was like seven years old, and that was the intro of it. Right. Why didn't you write down how? <laughs> we'll get back to more past gas, but right now, a word from our sponsors. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armor All, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armor All products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our next story uh, comes from uh, a person named Chris. Hi, my name is Chris. I'm from the Edmonton area of Alberta, nice. Canada. Nice. My grandmother was from there. Oh, my nice. God, dude. Yeah. Small freaking continent. Go Do you make Oilers. it down to Regina often? Yeah, you ever been to Regina, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> I've been listening to you guys since the beginning, and I love the podcast. Currently listening to the Lena Gade episode and hearing Nolan talk about being in the pit for an endurance race reminded me of a race a few buddies do in the winter up here in the Alberta Edmonton area in Alberta. (laughs) (laughs) And I pit for him. It's called the Numb Bum 24 Hour (laughs) Ice Race. Oh, wow. It takes place on a frozen lake with dirt bikes and four wheelers. They stud the tires and go racing. The track is usually about 15 kilometers. He uh, politely included uh, the Queen's distance for us. Not It's nine miles. <laughs> it's got hairpin turns, snails, straightaways. You name it, we got it, as long as it's a turn. They do a Le Mans-style start, which uh, means that you run to your vehicle mm-hmm. before you go. And the most laps wins. Being that it's in the middle of winter and we're in Canada, it can get quote cold as shit. Yeah, we've raced in temperature. We've raced in temperatures anywhere between a few degrees above freezing to as low as thirty below zero. Some teams bring their RVs, enclosed trailers, even canvas tents with wood stoves oh. for warmth, and to be able to sleep or work on the bikes out of the elements. It is quite the spectacle. I imagine so. That sounds like it sucks. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, mean, I was like. Really hoping that he wasn't going to invite us to it. Yeah, and thank you, Chris, for uh, thank you <laughs> understanding our personalities enough to be like these guys do not want to do this shit. Yeah, they are. They live in Los Angeles. They live in Los they Angeles. Soft. They are soft, yeah. soft, wealthy men. <laughs> they have cold noses when it's fifty-two degrees. <laughs> it is uh, seventy. It is sixty-three degrees in this room, and I am freezing. <laughs> Well, Chris did an awesome job not only piquing our interest uh, about this race, but giving us some solid info and linking us to an article about the race. So thank you, Chris. Uh, Our producers salute you for doing part of their job. Uh, (laughs) It will be reflected in their next paycheck. (laughs) 
The Numb Bum has been described by everyone, even its race organizer, Dan Sharon, as something you have to be a little crazy <laughs> to compete in. You don't have to be crazy to race in this, but it <laughs> helps. <laughs> <laughs> even though that was me committing suicide. Even though ice racing, usually on a motorcycle or quad, is a common sport across many snowy states and provinces in North America, not many ice racers are too keen to compete in the middle of February for 24 straight hours. Uh, in fact, the event was canceled in 2019 due to lack of directors and volunteers available, local politics, and the need for new equipment, but reemerged thanks to organizer Sharon and his local racing club, Pembina Dirt Riders Association. Shouts out, Pembina. Shout out, PDRA. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> For the 2020 race, old pros and some riders who had never even raced on snow showed up to pay the $250 fee to enter, and a total of 20 teams and 75 riders raced that year, with many coming from miles away. There are several classes of racers competing simultaneously. A professional motorcycle class, amateur motorcycle class, a quad class, and a red-eye class for those who don't want to race in the dark. Hmm. Aren't those, isn't red-eye the people that want to stay up all night? I only race in the dark. Yeah. Oh, you, I was born racing in the dark. <laughs> you the only adapted sport. <laughs> <laughs> I would probably, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't race in the dark. No, I wouldn't do that. I would race in the dark. I would. You would? I'm never doing this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like being cold. The I don't wind, like being cold. I don't like being cold. What am I supposed to do? What's uh, the deal with cold? What's the deal with cold? It's not hot. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not warm. What is it? <laughs> The winner is whoever completes the most laps in 24 hours, and they receive a trophy and street cred. Mm. Uh, Chris, maybe you mean lake cred. (laughs) 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 It's a true test of endurance, a feat of strength to see who can last the longest in brutally cold and temperamental Alberta winter weather. The racetrack is never the same, and it takes a group of dedicated people almost a week to fully plow and map the course. That's crazy, man. You got to be loony to race this one. <laughs> hey, we call our money the loony two. <laughs> <laughs> and then things get even harder. All right, over the course of the 24-hour race, both changing weather conditions and general wear of the ice forces the course to actually have to be changed. This poses yet another challenge for riders. They have to relearn the course in the middle of the race. They have to learn a new track. That would be very difficult. We have some experience with tracks that are easy and hard to learn. Yes, we do. Willow Springs. Willow Springs. Very hard to learn. Yep. No landmarks. Yep. It's like being on Mars. Sometimes I'm like, I don't know where I am. Mm -hmm. Sonoma Raceway. Lots of landmarks. Yeah, way easier. It's like playing Mario Kart. (laughs) I I could draw Sonoma right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... I do have the fastest lap record ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Seven seconds. <laughs> Unreal. In 2017, for example, there was a blizzard that dropped 10 inches of snow overnight and is considered among racers as the toughest, nastiest numbum ever contested. 
And if that's not difficult enough, because it's a 24-hour race, over half of the numbum is run in the dark. With nightfall comes lower temperatures and obviously reduced visibility. Not to mention that repairing anything in the dark is more difficult, and considering that the team with the most laps wins, losing time due to malfunctions caused by weather or the cold uh, or otherwise can be a death knell. Ding! Every numbum race begins the same. Competitors are told to turn to a stranger <laughs> and introduce themselves. Oh, that's okay, awesome. That's, that's the nice. most Canadian that's thing cool. ever. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, hey. And then they exchange uh, donut, uh, what are the <laughs> Tim Horton holes. <laughs> yeah, Bieber holes. <laughs> hey, did you see the new uh, Will Arnett picture, eh? Yeah, I love the Will Arnett. <laughs> Fundamentally, the event is about building community, and even though this is a competition back at base camp, you never know who will be willing to pour you a hot cup of coffee or hot chocolate or hot tea. Or, or hand you a satchel of Timbits. Yeah. Uh, and, and everyone's quick to lend you a much-needed tool or some advice or help, and I think it, I find that that, Some I find advice, that to be like <laughs> marriage advice, <laughs> yeah, financial. I don't know, but I find that to be the case at uh, a lot of racetracks. Yeah. We blew up our transmission at uh, Sonoma Raceway and. Uh, we were able to find a transmission and get some people to help us put it back in, toot sweet, and get right back on track within a few hours. Yeah, so that's cool. Race people are cool. When the race starts, an official drops the green flag, and the first rider on each team runs twenty yards to their motorcycle quad. Starts the engine and takes off. As we know from other 24-hour races, a good start is crucial. But each team has plenty of time to catch up. Typically, teams switch riders every hour or two, allowing their people to warm up or even take a nap, which apparently Nolan refused to do when he was uh, crewing for the 24-hour race. I just couldn't fall asleep. Yeah. As Chris mentioned in his email, racers use special tires with inch-and-a-half spikes that give them traction on the ice. However, these spikes are dangerous. And due to a deadly accident in 2015, when a racer caught one of his legs in the rear tire, a rule was added requiring wheel guards over the tires. Uh, there are also a fleet of snow plows on hand to keep the course safe during the race, or as safe as possible, I guess. And they run constantly to make sure that um, they're not missing anything. If you're interested in running in the 2023 race... Um, how could you not be? <laughs> <laughs> you can find out more information at uh, numbum.com. That's N-U-M-B-B-U-M.ca. Thank you, Joe, because it's Canadian. Yeah. Wow. Um, uh, you will not find us at this event next year. You will year. never no. go here. You will never see us here. There is no that chance that we miserable. will be here ever. That sounds <laughs> so miserable. Okay. Well, thank you for Maybe, uh, oh, your email, but, Chris. But it does bring up, you know, if there is uh, an endurance race or you know, ideally a race that lasts maybe an hour or two. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere like Hawaii yeah. or uh, Fiji or sure, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, the Florida Keys even. <laughs> give us a, give us an email. <laughs> we'd, we'd love to show up there. Yeah. Invite us to the Maui uh, two soft hours. butt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the, the Maui soft butt two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you for your email, Chris. This next one is from Josh. Quote, how about doing an episode regarding cars and the food industries, such as the revolution of the drive-thru, delivery services such as the pizza guy, 30 minutes or less, 
DoorDash, Uber, Postmates, Grubhub. You don't have to get an endorsement from anyone, but it'd be interesting. Also, try an experiment on the podcast. Order delivery, mm. purchase at the beginning of the recording, then wait for a real person to deliver it and include them on the podcast. That's kind of a fun I would love device. to get a That's pizza kind of during a fun, the show. It's kind of a fun, uh, Yeah, I'd love pizza during the show. That'd be sick. Yeah. You know what, Gavin, Christina, <laughs> why the hell isn't there any pizza here? <laughs> yeah. Well, Josh, we can tell you a little bit about the history of the drive-thru. The revolutionary invention begins with the drive-in. The earliest drive-in on record was the pig stand, located on the Dallas-Fort Worth Highway way back in 1921. This was a location where Americans could drive up, park, and eat their dinner behind the wheel. Another early adopter of the drive-in was Carpenter's Sandwiches, a sandwich shop that offered American comfort food to the comfort of Americans' car. A&W, a restaurant known for hot dogs and root beer, opened their first drive-in in the 1920s in Sacramento and even have some retro drive-ins running today across the country. Dude, A&W, sleeper. Sleeper. Dude, oh, I used to hang out in that. an A&W parking lot all the time in high school. Yeah. Really? Yeah, it was one of our meetups. Nice. That was the first place I ever had cheese curds, Joe. Oh! Really? In, Cal- in Atascadero. And Whoa. dare I say, pretty good. Were they squeakers? They actually were squeakers. Wow. Yeah. Hot squeakers yeah. in California. You don't find A&W. those very often. You don't sleep on A&W. find hot squeakers in California. Yeah, don't Dude, sleep on A&W, man. I love sucking on a chili dog from <laughs> A&W. Yeah. Dick and Jane. <laughs> in the late 1940s, after the, second, <laughs> after the Second World War, car ownership began to climb up again. And so many different kinds of businesses developed drive through services, such as drive through banks with the little... <laughs> tube (laughs) 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 groceries even liquor stores we had a drive-through liquor store in atascadero for the longest time we had a drive-through liquor store uh like downtown in louisville yeah that would like just serve like children (laughs) and so i would go there as a driving child Uh like like, not only would they like have bottles of things they would make slushies whoa so you get like an alcoholic slushy (laughs) in your car Crazy. I was gonna make a joke about did they offer to like open your bottle for you, but that it's you have to you drink buy, it. You could buy a mixed drink. That's nuts. And they That's would insane, hand it to your car dude. window. That's too. insane. Yeah. I mean, luckily I've grown up with chauffeurs my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> and I was doing this in the back of a Rolls Royce limousine. Yeah. Because yeah. the whole blank check thing. Yeah, because yeah, the blank check. <laughs> In 1947. That was a really lucky turn of events yeah. when I found that blank check and I made yeah. it out for a million dollars. And I invested it really wisely, and now here we are. Here we are. I'm Batman. In 1947, (laughs) Red's Giant Hamburg, a down-home joint along Route 66 in Springfield, Missouri, opened and is widely considered America's first drive-thru restaurant. Originally, owner Sheldon Red Cheney operated the place as a gas station, but realized the market in running it as a drive-thru restaurant. Were hamburgers, did they used to be called Hamburgs? I don't know. Red's was transformed into a giant Hamburg, named because the last er wouldn't fit on the sign, (laughs) and offered a simple concept, a drive-up window rather than a car hop service. That's how Pizza Hut got its start. They only had, uh, you know, what, eight (laughs) spots for eight letters on their sign? Really? Yeah. The concept was a hit, and Red's stayed open until 1984. Pizza Dog? (laughs) (laughs) However... Reds is an American classic, and the guy who bought the brand rights, David Campbell, opened a new Reds in in 2019. It's such a classic guy. It must be like a Midwest thing, because I've never heard of that. Reds Giant Hamburg. 
The next drive-thru to open was In-N-Out, founded and run by the Snyder family in 1948 in Baldwin Park, California. This was a huge shock to, to me. I just found this out about a month ago. What, I was In-N-Out's way better than Whataburger? And if you don't think that, then you're an idiot? No, it was that uh, In-N-Out opened up before McDonald's. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, right? <laughs> this location offered even further innovation thanks to owner Harry Snyder, a two-way speaker box that allowed drivers to order dinner without ever leaving their car, the very invention that paved the way for the modern drive through It wasn't long before other small fast food chains opened and jumped on the drive through concept. Jack in the Box opened in San Diego in 1951 with a drive through concept built into the business from the jump. They also had a slightly unsettling take on the two-way speaker system. The brand mascot, Jack, a smiling clown, sat on top of the intercom box above a sign that read, Jack will speak to you. Yeah. Uh, the guy who is in the Jack in the Box costume also yeah. writes and directs all of the Jack in the Box commercials. <laughs> <laughs> and I auditioned for a Jack in the Box commercial one time. And like normally, like... Uh, You've been on commercial auditions. Yeah. Like normally it's like they're, they're going to see a million people and it's like in and out and like mm -hmm. not in and out the restaurant, but like it's just like very quick, like hold this bottle of Mountain Dew and yeah, yeah. say whatever. This guy sat me down at a table and like <laughs> explained the concept. That it was like when they were pushing like the like weed mm -hmm, box, mm -hmm. like, yeah, this, yeah, yeah. like you can get it if you're stoned. We're not saying it, but like this is for being stoned at night. <laughs> and uh, and he sat me down and he explained the con like the joke of the commercial, and I was like, okay, <laughs> Jesus Christ, man! <laughs> and and he goes, he, he was like, so James, tell me, what would you like to be doing five years from now? <laughs> and like in my head, I'm just like, not this, yeah. like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not auditioning for Jack in the Box commercials, dude. <laughs> But that doesn't mean I don't want this. Yeah, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll gladly I take this. It. I would love this. <laughs> Maybe he was looking for a successor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I fucked up. I could have been How that guy. How against changing your name to my <laughs> name are you? How would you like to be <laughs> Mr. In the Box? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Wendy's, which was founded by Dave Thomas in 1969, was also a pioneer of the drive through concept. The brand still insists that they're the first to offer a modern-day pickup window. That's a uh, loophole. Yeah. <laughs> they're, not, they're not claiming yeah, what's a first. modern day. How about let's like yeah. focus on the fact that their patties are square. That's like way more interesting than the the, the window. Anyway, while these <laughs> smaller fast food chains, were, you know what I mean? <laughs> they're square. Um, all these smaller fast food chains were all about the drive through. It took the bigger companies much longer to jump on board. Burger King and McDonald's didn't offer drive-through windows until 1975, nearly three decades wow. after Red's giant hamburger. -er. One of the funniest videos on the internet is this training video from the 80s from Wendy's where they talk about all the hamburgers that you messed up. It's a wrap, first of all. Oh, yeah. It's a wrap. You should have led with that. Showing you how to turn all the messed up hamburgers into chili. Oh. But it's like a recipe and a training video and a rap video Sick. all mixed in Dude, one. Those are like two of my favorite things. <laughs> all right. For our final submission, our producer Christina thought it would be nice to end on an answer to a submission question we get pretty often. This one comes from that car guy 127 Hey, so I am a huge fan of the podcast and the channel, especially Hi-Low. I'm a new content creator on YouTube, and I'm trying to grow my channel. I do videos on the history of cars and the people involved in building them. And I'm wondering if you guys had any advice to give 
The channel name is that car guy one two seven. Okay. I think my f- first piece of advice here, uh, honestly, would be to change the channel name. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that was the first thing I. Nothing thought. really jumps out at me for that car guy one twenty seven. I get where it's hard to come up with branding. Yeah. I'm not good at it. James is very good at it, but the the name I think has got to be the first yeah. change we make here. The, yeah. There's a reason that you got to put one two seven at the end of it, because you got to. There's a lot of that car yeah. guy. Uh, also, it's very close to that dude in blue who's already a very established mm-hmm. guy. Spend a lot of time figuring out uh, the first like 12 seconds of the video. Let everyone know what they're going to see and get them excited about it very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And then deliver on so whatever that is promise huge. is yeah. uh, throughout the video. Uh, and I can't stress enough how important your thumbnail and the title of your video yeah. are. It's the most Go important. watch be on YouTube all the time. We are on YouTube all the time. I'm on it right now. I'm on it right now. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, look at the thumbnails and the titles of videos that are doing very yes. well. Try and uh, isolate the things that uh, you see like across the board in videos that are doing well. And honestly, just like apply them to your own stuff. Yes. And when you when you talk to people people from other channels, just be a cool dude. Don't try to push anything. Don't be weird. <laughs> people want to work with people that are normal and cool to work with. So yes, just be yourself. Yeah. On that note about... Unless you're weird, then <laughs> pretend to not be yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing it for years. Um, yeah, so I hope that advice at least gets you on the right foot. Also, consistency in uploads is very important. Best of luck to you. A lot of, there's a lot of successful channels out there that started from various humble beginnings like yours, like MKBHD, uh, that dude in blue, Chris Fix, of course, like all uh, started, Mr. Beast, Mr. Beast. Yeah. All started from very, very humble beginnings and, uh, you can do it. You can do it too. Um, so I hope our advice helped you out a little bit there. That car guy, one twenty seven. hopefully your name is different soon. Yeah. Hopefully I went into like a James moment there. That was kind of weird. Anyway. So there we go. That was Santa's coal bag, uh, a, a grab bag of different ideas. It turned out to be Santa's present bag. Yeah, I would love to do that again. So keep emailing us your ideas at passgas at donutmedia.com. Fat, Na- uh, Fat Nick and his deers brought us some real gold this oh, year, yeah. boys. Har, har, har. Big thank you to our producers, uh, as always, uh, Christina Felsky and Gavin Kinzel. And uh, you can follow the boys at Joe G. Weber. Follow James at James Humphrey. Follow me at Nolan J. Sykes. Follow the YouTube channel if you haven't already. Subscribe. Watch our videos. And follow Santa at Santa. (laughs) (laughs) All right. See you next week. Bye. Happy Honda days. you know and trust is now angie and we're so much more than just a list we still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly we can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish so remember angie's list is now angie and we're here to get your job done right get started at angie.com that's a-n-g-i or download the app today
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.